back at him. He loves to be in the action. No matter what mommy, daddy, or big brother are doing, Corbin has to be right there in the mix. He's recently figured out that walking is going to be a better method of getting to the action than crawling. We see Corbin as a gift from God to our entire family because of the laughter that literally fills our house when he and his big brother Branson are playing together. We had no idea an 11-month-old was capable of playing tag, hide-and-seek, and to withstand a death-grip, loving bear hug from his big brother. But it definitely happens. We're excited and honored to dedicate Corbin today to have our friends, family, and church family huddle around him, lift him up in thoughts and prayers, and share our desire to point Corbin and, of course, continue pointing Branson towards God in everything we do, say, think, and feel. Hi, we're the Rolls family. I'm Chris. This is Zoe. This is Zane. And this is Christy. Zoe is a tough, loving, happy, and well-behaved baby girl. She always has a smile on her face for her friends and her family. Zoe is still showing us more of her personality every single day. We wouldn't trade her for anything in the world. We see Zoe as a gift from God because Zoe is a sweet bundle of joy and makes a great addition to our family. She always makes us laugh and puts a smile on our faces. We want our family and friends to know how grateful we are to God for giving us our kids. We want Zoe to grow up knowing how awesome God is and will always be there for her. Hi, we're the Trouts family. I'm Todd. This is my wife, Leah, and this is our son, Alexander. Alexander is five months old and our first child. As new parents, we've enjoyed learning skills such as how to change a diaper and how to burp a baby. Alexander is always happy to practice mastering his new skills, such as kicking his legs, rolling over, and laughing. We believe he is a gift from God and that we have the responsibility to love and raise him to follow Christ. We pray that at an early age he will trust Jesus as a Savior and glorify him with his life. Hi, we're the Carmichaels. My name's Aaron. This is my wife, Rachel, our daughter, Kira, and we're dedicating Lily today. We were so excited for Lily to arrive. Lily Ann Grace was born on August 10th. She is a gift from God, as we had been hoping and praying for a younger sibling for our first daughter, Kira. Although the first thing most people notice is her full head of hair, we also love her beautiful smile. Lily is a very content and happy baby who loves her sleep. She enjoys watching Kira play and has a good understanding of tolerance, all thanks to her big sis. We are so thankful to God for entrusting us to be her parents. Lily is an absolute joy and has been the perfect addition to our family. Hi, we're the bride and family. I'm Nicolina. This is my husband, Andrew, and our son, Elliot. Elliot is almost four months old, and he loves singing silly faces and sticking out his tongue. He has an infectious smile and a spunky personality that matches his little mohawk. He loves spending time with his family and his daybreak buddies, Kira and Lily. Elliot is a gift from God because the love we feel as his parents helps us understand the unconditional love God has for us. Our prayer as we dedicate Elliot today is that he grows up to be a man of character and integrity who loves the Lord with all of his heart. Hi, we're the Lefevers. I'm Kyle. This is my wife, Cammie, our daughter, Lauren, and our daughter, Sydney. Sydney was born last January, and we've been so blessed with her mild-mannered nature. Now that she's crawling, we have an added level of excitement as she loves exploring, getting into all of her sister's toys, and trying to eat our shoes. She's a gift from God because she always makes us laugh, and we love to watch her and her older sister interact as they grow up together. Hi, I'm Dave Moralia. This is my wife, Rachel. This is Aurelia, Calvin, and our Sydney. 
Sydney is one of our family's precious gems. She delights in each of us as we delight in her. She is a gift from God that inspires us to smile, laugh, and make up sweet and silly songs. We've chosen to have her dedicated as we had Aurelia and Calvin dedicated. We've promised to raise her to know and love God and so that she might choose Jesus as the leader of her life when it is her turn to choose. My name is Tony, this is my wife Carolyn, and this handsome little fella is Judah. Judah was God's surprise gift to us last Christmas. We brought him home for adoption at three days old on Christmas Eve with only nine days notice after ten years of waiting to see what God's plan was for children in our family. He's ten months old and his current hobbies are pulling his socks off, grabbing our teeth, trying to swim in the dog's water bowls, and growing faster than the speed of light. He can be serious and stoic when first studying people or situations, but he always eventually opens up with an energetic smile and loves everyone. We want to dedicate Judah and raise him in the church so he knows that God took care of him from before conception, that he always had and will have a father in God, and a home and a place to belong in God's family and ours. Well, it's great to get to know all of these families that are going to dedicate their kids today. And uh, you saw a video just getting to know them. We just love the mohawk, and I like you guys' uh, response to the video. So um, this is kind of like a family event for Daybreak Church. And um, I'm privileged to be able to dedicate these kids. I'm Ryan Clark. I'm the children's pastor here. And I'm so proud of these parents who want to publicly declare that they want their child to follow Christ. And I just want to introduce you guys all to them today. We have their, like, blown-up pictures on this screen. Uh, but, so we have Elliot here. He's the Mohawk. He's, he's going to be, like, famous after here. Elliot. And uh, Lillianne over here. Hey, Lillianne. Hi. And then we have Sydney. Hi, Sydney. How you doing? Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then Alexander. Alexander giving good smiles in the video, must say. And then Madison's right here. Hi, Madison. Hi. Hi. Hey, smiles well. And no tears at all. How about that, huh? Jinxing. All right, then we have Judah right here. Hi, Judah. Hi. How you doing? I like your curly hair. And then Corbin right here. Corbin. Hey, bud. You want to say hi? Got to pacify. It's good. And then last is Sydney. Oh, she's got some traditional dedication to wear on, right? Hi, Sydney. Hi, hi, girl. Well, God has given parents a limited time, and I wanted to show you there's this app. It's called the Legacy Counter, and I want to show you a screenshot of that over here. And I, what you could do with this app, it's free. You put it in your birthday, and it'll count down how many weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds until graduation. just to bring the sense of urgency of how much time we have as parents to point our kids to Christ. And God is calling these parents and me as a parent to model God's love and grace to, to our kids. And I'm happy to be with these parents as they start this journey. So as part of the dedication ceremony, there's four commitments that all these parents are going to make. I'm going to read the four commitments. And then I'm going to talk to the Daybreak family, and then you guys are going to respond with I will, all right? All right, and they're up on the screen. First one is, will you recognize 
God as the creator of all the things, of all things, and the maker of my child. So God created each one of these kids, and they're so cute. Will you give testimony of your personal faith in Christ as your forgiver and leader? And will you commit yourself to raise your child and to point them towards Christ? And this last one has all of the other Daybreak family involved, but I'm going to read it first. Will you welcome the members of Daybreak to exert a loving, Christ-like influence on your child and your family? So before you say I will, I want to talk to the church family a little bit. I would like each one of you, if you could commit in your heart to support these parents in whatever way you can. I know you don't know all of them, and you may get to know them as their kids grow up. But if you will commit to do whatever you can to help point these kids to Christ, I would like you guys to stand if you can do that. Wonderful. Wonderful. So parents, you see all church family standing for you guys. They want to be here for you and do whatever they can for you and stand here in front of you as you make this commitment to point your kids to Christ. Actually, these four commitments. So if you will commit to these four commitments, please say, I will. All right, let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your gift of kids to us. We thank you. Lord, I stand with these parents who want to do whatever possible, whatever thing they could do, whatever you have laid on their heart to do to point their kids to Christ. And I pray that at a young age, all of these kids will hear from you, that they will believe in you, and that they will decide to follow you and accept you as their Savior. And so, as a pastor, Elliot, Lillianne, Sydney, Alexander, Madison, Judah, Corbin, and Sydney, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for these kids. I pray for this whole church family that we will do whatever we can to help these kids grow up to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's give them a hand. Thank you. Well, we welcome, uh, we know we have many guests here this morning. We welcome you to Daybreak. And I'm Pastor Joe. I serve as the lead pastor here at Daybreak. For the last six weeks, we've been doing four things together. Uh, to doing a series called uh, Generosity, Open Hands. And uh, so we've been trying to help our church family move from being a consumer mentality to a contributor mentality. And we've done four different practices. We've studied the Word of God together, both together corporately and personally. Uh, we've prayed together. We learned a prayer pattern that later on we'll pray during communion. Uh, and over 150 of you have committed to take the four-month giving challenge and have locked in on that. If you want to do that, you're still uh, available to you. You can fill out the card today. I'll send you a follow-up letter and I'll also send you a gift copy of the Treasure Principle book. And then we'll send four follow-up encouragements to get you through reading the book in the next four months too. And uh, so you can do that. And we've also memorized some scripture together from 1 Timothy 
6, 17, and 19. And I think it's fitting that today we're concluding our generosity series right on the heels or, or, of, of Thanksgiving Day. You know, Thanksgiving Day is a day when we say to God, thank you for being so generous to me. And we stop and we remember God's generosity and his goodness to us. And uh, in the midst of food and family and fun, we recall that God is generous in his nature and reflect his nature to others. And uh, so this week, as I was getting ready for the message, I, I just looked up some kind of memorable quotes on Thanksgiving. I want to give a couple to you. The first one is this. Even though we're only a few days away from Thanksgiving, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The other one is this one. Here's another one. Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare. They're consumed in 12 minutes. <laughs> Half time takes 12 minutes. This is no coincidence. <laughs> An optimist is a person who starts a new diet on Thanksgiving Day. And I wouldn't say to do it. No one be optimist. Just eat it up. Okay. Um, Phyllis Diller said this, my cooking was so bad on Thanksgiving that my kids thought that Thanksgiving was to commemorate Pearl Harbor. <laughs> then somebody wrote this little, uh, it's anonymous, someone wrote this little quip. It says, may your stuffing be tasty, may your turkey be plump, may your potatoes and gravy never have a lump, may your yams be delicious and your pies be the prize, and may your Thanksgiving Day dinner stay off your thighs. And somebody said this poignant phrase. I said, Thanksgiving was never meant to be shut up in a single day. The spirit of Thanksgiving was never meant to be shut up in a single day. And JFK said this, John F. Kennedy said this when he was our president. Just this week, we commemorated uh, the assassination and his death and burial. Uh, You probably saw a lot of different specials on that. But he said this about Thanksgiving and about giving gratitude. He said, as we express our gratitude We must never forget that the highest appreciation is not in utter words, but to live by them. It's not in other words, but to live by them. And at daybreak during the series, we don't want to just utter some words about generosity. We want to live by them. We want to live a life of worship with open hands. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. How do we do that? So on this weekend, it's marked by an upcoming of Thanksgiving We want to learn how to reflect this generous nature of God by worshiping with open hands. So what does that look like? Point number one, we worship with open hands when we discover the relationship between generosity and joy. When we discover that relationship between generosity and joy, we can worship God with open hands, okay? I want to tell you uh, a recount a narrative part of scripture from you where Jesus met a young man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very successful person. You'll see in the passage of scripture. But Zacchaeus learned this connection on the day of his salvation. He learned this connection between generosity and joy. Listen as I read it to you. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. and He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this. They began to mutter, 
He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I'll I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said this to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The story of Zacchaeus has some intrigue to it. Because Zac was this Jewish man who was walking the line between his Jewish faith and heritage and the Roman culture that he lived in by taking on the occupation of a tax collector. And that's what a tax collector did. Most tax collectors in that day were wealthy, and we'll get into that in a moment, because they were skimming some off the top, which was part of the whole system that the Romans had set up with tax collectors. So he took on this occupation that had him kind of walking in two worlds. It had him walking the line. It had him making a lot of compromise. And uh, out of that, though, he was getting a lot of riches in this world. He was doing a lot of grasping, but not generous giving. He was doing a lot of consuming, but he wasn't really being much of a contributor back. The Romans liked to use people of their own race to collect taxes because they thought that they could get an insider would really know how much somebody made or brought in, and the tax was usually leveled, levied in some percentage. They also, they also plied them by telling them this. As a tax collector, you can levy a larger percentage than what we've said, and you can pocket the difference. And so that's what was going on. And that's the way the Romans collected taxes and got more taxes coming in through the Roman coffers. But at the same time, the tax collectors' coffers would go up, but their reputation went way down with the people of their own origin. And for Zacchaeus, it was the Hebrews, being a Hebrew person, okay? And so his stock went way up with the Romans, but went down with his own people. But he wasn't concerned about that because he was more concerned about consuming for himself than giving back to God or touching the lives of others. And uh, it's interesting that, that the Romans said they would look the other way, that, you know, that, that is the way that he had made a lot of his money. In some sense, though, I think that Zach had been watching and listening and studying some of the teachings of Jesus for some time. I mean, we see him up the tree this time, but I think from the treetops or from a distance, he's taking in who this Jesus is. And so he's heard about him and it says that he wants to see him, but he's too short in stature. And so he climbs a sycamore tree. I have some sycamore trees right near my house that are very large right down by the creek. But one thing about a sycamore tree that you know, if your children are young, is they have branches almost down to a really low spot. And so they could get on him, he could get on this tree and climb it up really quick. Even the large sycamore trees that are native to here that way. And in the Holy Land, they would be like a fig tree. And so it would be a tree that he could climb up and get way up in his branches and look down over to see Jesus and take him in. Jesus stops right where he is, looks up at Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. And so Zacchaeus comes pouring down out of the tree and his life comes kind of just pouring out before God. This generosity factor and the joy factor are lined up when Jesus comes his way. And he says this, if I have, you know, cheated anybody out of anything, and I imagine the people around like, if? You know, it's kind of like when you say to someone, if I offended you, I apologize. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, that doesn't count then, right? That apology really doesn't count. I imagine Jesus is saying if, it's when and how much. But it's amazing how generous he becomes instantly. 
He says he's willing to give them back four times what he stole. He's willing to give half of his wealth to the poor. So suddenly he goes from being someone who's a consumer, who's grasping, to someone who's a contributor in giving. And I think it's because of this. It wasn't just Zach that was on the lookout for God that day. It was God who was on the lookout for Zach. And when he found him up a tree, he called him down. He paid him respect by inviting him, inviting himself to his house. That would have been a great respect to have this rabbi, this known person, come to your house that day. And that's why the rest of the people and the religious leaders said, he's going to the house of a sinner. He's supposed to be coming to our place. He's supposed to be showing us prestige. But God comes Zacchaeus' way. He calls him down out of his tree. He calls him into a relationship with him. He calls him into a place of intimacy where they're sharing a meal together. God wants to invade Zacchaeus' space in his own home. He wants to come and be part of him. And I ask you today, how do you respond? Maybe today you've been sitting here the last couple of weeks taking in some messages about you know, generosity and so forth, but today Jesus is coming by the tree that you've been up in. Maybe you've been surveying him from a distance and looking at the scriptures and asking some questions but you haven't let him set up residence in your life. But today you want to do that. You say, today is my day. I've heard God call my voice. I've heard God stop by the tree that I've been up in observing him. I've heard God invite me to be part and to come and be part of my living space and to take over my living space. And so I ask you today, where are you with God? Where are you with God? Because like Zacchaeus, you can have the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing God, the joy of transferring someone who's, who's living life with closed hands to living life with open hands, to become a worshiper of God, and not just somebody who watches from a distance, but worships them with a whole heart and invites God into that living room of your life to share not just one meal with you, not just this Thanksgiving, but many successive meals after that. God setting up residence in your very soul. God's word says this about being a generous giver. It says that each of us have to, should decide in our heart what we're going to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God spawns cheerful giving. God, because of his generosity, wells up joy within us. Truly, Jesus himself was a link between generosity and joy for Zacchaeus and for us too. When God sees us and calls us and sets up residence within us. It empowers us to worship him with our hands wide open and our hearts and our minds wide open to him. The second point I want to talk to you about this morning is that we worship with open hands when we discover the relationship between generosity and intimacy. When we discover the relationship between generosity and intimacy. Matthew 13, Jesus tells the story and he tells just these short little stories that illustrate the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid the treasure again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had so he could buy that field. Generosity opens a doorway to the soul that has been closed to this point. Generosity is all about discovering, like Jesus said, someone discovers that the kingdom of heaven is worth everything they've got. So they're willing to sell out in order to join the kingdom of heaven and be part of it coming to earth 
through them. And that's what's happening in this word picture that Jesus gives us here. He said the kingdom of heaven is like people who discover this treasure and they're willing to take everything they've had beforehand and give it into the hands of God to become part of his kingdom and to, to make a commitment of their life to him. Generosity that comes from a joyful heart for all that the master has provided opens a deeper door in our life for intimacy with him. When we start to realize that all that we have, all that we have has come from the master and that he is our source and that when we give it back to him, he can make our life have a lot more meaning than ever before. Jesus was letting us know that the kingdom of heaven is made up of people who would sell it all in order to have the opportunity at having intimacy with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is the kind of passion that we often find when we first come to Christ. It's the kind of passion that we see in Zacchaeus. He's on fire. In one day, he goes from being someone who's a greedy grasper, cheating, skimming off the top, pocketing the difference, to being someone who says, I'm going to give half of my treasure to those that are poor. And those that I've cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times in the amount. Somehow Zacchaeus has the joy of the Lord in his life, and he sets out on this life-changing journey with Jesus Christ, and he is on fire, and he starts to grow. But the problem is this. For the vast majority of those who have been Christians for a while, we never move beyond the honeymoon phase with Jesus. We start in this honeymoon phase where we learn about him, and we have this life-changing encounter with him. We start to study the scriptures and grow in him, And then we take a next step and we start to serve him and do acts of service. And they're all good things. They're all the first couple stages of growth of any Christian. And we do that. But then we hit something that's called the wall in our Christianity. We come to a time of delusionment about Christianity or or the things that we've learned and done and grown and something's happening in our life that seems to bring us to a wall with our faith, to some incongruency with our faith. And we're kind of stuck there. As a matter of fact, we probably hit more than one wall in our Christian life, and we need to push through it. The problem is is that there's kind of three groups of people that come out of this wall experience. If you guys want to go ahead and throw the the, uh, diagram up uh, there, (laughs) not there. Hey, why is it not coming up there? That was pretty funny. A number of years ago, this is from a book called The Critical Journey. And a couple of people came up to me after the service and said, what was the name of that book? I want to read that book. So it's called The Critical Journey. It's about the journey of a Christian's life, about their development of a Christian's life. And we talked about that stage one, the life-changing awareness of God, coming into relationship with God, having him set up residence within our soul and be our savior and the leader of our life. And, but stage two is discipleship, this learning and growing. We start to read the word of God and grow in our understanding of God and others in the world and eternity and how that works. And stage three is kind of this active life. We start to serve God and, and, and do actions and activities of serving God. But then at some point we hit a, a wall and we have to get through the wall in order to get to stage four, which is this journey inward of knowing God deeper in our soul, and then a journey outward, forming from an inner life, and then the last one transformed into love. But at the wall, what happens to some people is they actually defect from faith. They actually become so disillusioned with God and their life, and they actually just defect from their Christian faith, and they walk away from it. 
there's still there's a greater portion of people and probably the bigger portion of people that never get through the wall. There are people who say, well, I guess this is all there is. I guess this is as good as it gets with God, and I guess I just have to live with some of this disparity and disillusionment. So I'll just go back to discipleship and learning, and I'm just going to go back to the active life of serving. I guess it's just all about learning more and serving more. And they, they kind of get on this treadmill in their Christian life about learning more and serving more. And they think that's becoming deeper. But all the time, somewhere deeper in their soul, they know there must be something deeper with God. Some of these questions that burn within, some of these incongruencies that don't make sense, some of my plans that have never come true, some of my dreams that have never come to fruition, I'm hoping that somehow, some way, God will deal with me with them someday. But I'll just turn those down and turn them off, and I'll stay here. And as Christians, sometimes we get kind of on a treadmill in life. But there's a third group of people who push into the wall. And they push into the wall, and they push through the wall. And at the wall, they find that there's a decision, and there's a decision about trust. Trusting God to open a deeper door to their soul that they've never opened up before. Matter of fact, they didn't know the door was there. And they find that God's telling them, trust me in this. Trust me in this. Open the door to me. Often it takes us a while at the wall to figure out what the issue is, what's going on, why we're having such a hard time at the wall. I think in our Christian lives we hit the wall more than once. I know I have. I know in the last couple of years I, I hit a wall with God. I hit a wall where, you know, everything was changing. We were going from visiting to my mother to taking care of my mother. There was a transition. There was an in-between time. We were going from raising our kids to launching our kids into college and married life. Everything felt in between for me. We were going from starting and the euphoria of starting a church and planting churches to developing a church and growing a group of people into a spiritual family. That was a new challenge, but it felt in between and unknown to me. And all of my life for a while felt like I was just between. Somebody asked me one day, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling between. I don't even know if that's a feeling, but it feels like one to me. As I sat there and discussed it and unpacked it and prayed with this person, and they helped me on my journey through my wall, and I feel like I'm beginning to come out the other side almost after two years of that wall. I'm coming out with some hope. I'm coming out with some new prayers. I'm coming out with some new expectations. I'm coming out with a richer relationship with my maker because I'm pushing through the wall. And I'm learning how to open up a door deep inside of me that lets Jesus come in and lets him dine with me, lets him talk with me, lets him unpack some things with me that only Christ can make known to me in my relationship with him. And I have some trusted friends for the journey. Some of you are on that with me from a distance. Some of you are up close. And I appreciate that. I have friends. I have comrades for the journey. I'm not in this moving through the wall alone. But so many of us get stuck at a closed door. And we need to push through that wall. And it takes a while. But when we do, we find a richer, fuller intimacy than Christ with Christ than we've ever had before. In the book of Revelation, it talks to the seven churches in the first couple chapters about their wall. Make no mistake about it, when it talks about each one of these seven churches, there's a wall. They're described, 
as a church, and then it says, but there's a wall. There's a closed door inside of you. And then it says, it warns. It warns the churches, you need to turn and repent. And you need to open the door. What's interesting is if you read through the first couple chapters of Revelation and you read about all those churches, each one's described, each one's warned, and it kind of comes up to this culminating point in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, these words are said by Jesus himself. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. And then he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. Those words were written to those who were already in the faith. The people in those churches already had a faith in Christ. They already had a life-changing awareness. They already were learning and growing. They already were serving, but they had come to a wall and they needed a deeper enriching relationship and so jesus says i'm standing at the door and i'm knocking will you open it up or will you just sit at the wall or go back into those first couple stages or will you open the door to me to deeper intimacy just like zacchaeus will you let me into your living space will you let me share meals with you will you let me share life with you Will you let me be your coach and your guide? Will you let the Holy Spirit in in a fuller way? And he invites them to open the door. I want you just to engage with me for a moment in just a reflective exercise. I I picked out this picture of a door because it was just an interesting door. It's kind of an intriguing door uh, to me. And uh, it's, it's just a door that kind of signifies openness. For me, it kind of signifies maybe a door deep in my soul that I'd kept closed for a while to God. But now that I open that door, there's light that's coming in and there's new things on the other side of it. But if I don't open the door, what? I can never see the light. I can never experience the new things. I can never know what's left unexplored with God. And I can stay in the common and the known. But if I open the door and let Christ in in a fuller way, maybe there's some new places that he wants to take me in the life-changing journey. Maybe there's some parts of me that he wants to heal. Maybe there's some parts of me that I just need to surrender and I need to give up because they weren't his dreams, they were just mine. Maybe there's parts of me that will never be totally satisfied and fulfilled in God until I open that door and let him come in and address some of those places and questions inside of me. So as we sit in a couple quiet moments this morning, I want you just to look at the, it's not up there. I want you just to look at the door. And as you look at the door, I want you to hear the words of Jesus as though he's saying them to you. So I want you just to quietly listen to Jesus saying these words to you. Here I am. I stand at your door. And I knock. If you hear my voice. And if you open the door. I will come in. And I will eat with you. And you will dine. With me. In the quietness of the moment. Just reflect on those words. And on the door.
there is a connection between generosity and intimacy with God. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you trust me? Will you open up to me? Will you share your life with me? Third point this morning, as we go into communion, as we worship with open hands, we need to discover the relationship between generosity and surrender. There's a relationship between generosity and joy, generosity and intimacy, but there's also this relationship between generosity and surrender. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book is arguing in some sense for the supremacy of Christ. He's talking to Jewish people, and he's saying to them that Jesus Christ is greater than all of their heritage that they have. Now, Jewish people bank on that heritage, and these people were no different. They were banking on it. Moses, they've got Abraham. They've got a strong heritage. They've got Aaron and the tribe of Levi. They've got all these people. But if you look at even the first couple chapters of the book of Hebrews, the writer is saying Jesus is supreme. He is greater than all of our Jewish heritage. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the priesthood. He reigns supreme, so you need to put your faith and your trust in him. He is the great high priest. He is fully God and fully man. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, you are saved for eternity, not in your genealogy. You are saved because of your faith in Christ for eternity, not your genealogy that's been handed down to you. It's your own faith, your personal trust in him. And there's a link here between generosity and surrender, personal surrender. And so he says that, and then he points also to this kind of strange character when he says that Jesus is a high priest and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now it's kind of intriguing and a bit mystifying because we don't know much about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned in the book of Hebrews and he's mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 before Abraham is Abraham. Abraham is still Abram at that point. He's not Abraham. He's not the father of nations. But he's on this journey and Abram has been fighting battles. And he's been fighting battles. He's, when, when you did that in those days, he was winning spoils, but he was learning how to be pretty self-sufficient. But God was trying to teach Abram how to have his faith and his trust be fully in God. And so Abram's fighting these battles, and then something strange happens. He's fighting these battles. This priest comes to him named Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is the priest of Jerusalem. It says in the scripture, he is the priest of Salem. Salem was a nickname for Jerusalem. It was a shortening of Jerusalem. And it says that he was a priest who had no beginning and no end. It said he was a priest who, of righteousness. It says he was a priest of peace. And it says he was a priest who brought out both wine and bread and a blessing for Abram. This was kind of a strange thing for Abram to be almost in a point of surrender. So what he does is he takes the spoils and he takes a tithe and he gives it to Melchizedek. 
Now, he's not told to do that. He's not commanded to do that. Matter of fact, he's told not to surrender to anybody but to God. He's learning how to surrender to God. But Melchizedek, in some way, is a type of Christ. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. That Melchizedek is like Christ in that they can't find any genealogy from Melchizedek. He seems to have existed through all time. And it's not through his genealogy that he became a priest. It's because he was appointed a priest by God, just like Jesus has been. It says that they are alike and they're both kings of righteousness and of peace, that they're about righteousness and the righteousness that brings a peace in the inner part of a man. The Melchizedek is like Jesus and that he brings out bread and wine as a sign of a covenant. And Jesus brought out in the Last Supper bread and wine as a sign of the covenant. And then he became the great high priest who laid his life down. And so Melchizedek is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ who is to come. And Christ is different from any other priest in that he laid down his life, his spotless life, for us so that we, when we surrender to God, can walk in a living relationship with him. And so there is an interplay between God's generosity and our surrender. God's surrender on the cross and his generosity towards us. There's this interplay. There's this interchange between it. There's this goodness to surrender that we need to walk in. And that is what the communion table is all about. It's a place of sacrifice on God's behalf for us. It's a place of surrender where we surrender to him. It's a place of intimacy where we can peel in to know him together. It's a place of joy where we can say, restore to us, God, the joy of our salvation. It's a place where we meet God and invite him in to share the interior of our life. Jesus is the eternal son of God who led a sinless life and gave himself up so that we can embark on a life-changing journey with him. And the key to that is surrender. You probably all know what the international sign of surrender is, right? It's either a white flag or an open hand, a raised hand. If we're going to live with open hands, we need to lift our hands up to God. God, I surrender to you. Abraham was learning how to surrender stage by stage, step by step to God. We're learning stage by stage, step by step, how to surrender our lives to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that when Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, that Jesus honored him by sharing a meal with him in his own home. It's interesting to me that When the churches opened their door to Jesus, he came in and what? Shared a meal with them and sat down with them. And when Abraham met up with Melchizedek, they shared bread and wine. They shared a meal together. So today, when we meet up with Jesus, he's inviting us to joy. He's inviting us to intimacy. He's inviting us to surrender at the communion table today. Perhaps you're like Zach. Maybe today you're going to be sharing your first meal at one of these tables with Jesus. That today you've heard Jesus stop by the tree that you've been stuck up in and called your voice. 
And he's calling you down. He's calling you into a faith relationship with him. And today will be your first communion day with God. If today you're placing your faith and your trust in Jesus, and we pray in just a couple minutes, Jesus welcomes you. Come to the table. Feast with me. Know the joy of your salvation. Walk with me. Or maybe today you're like one of the churches from the book of Revelation and you're at the wall and you've been holding back, but this morning you want to open a new door to God. And today at the table of mercy, you just come and you sit down and Jesus says, come and dine with me. I'll lead the way. I'll lead the way through the wall and beyond the wall. And I'll lead you into a deeper place with me that you never thought was possible before. I'll do that. Either way, it's about surrender. Either way, it's about trust. Either way, it's about coming to a table of mercy that's been set for you that you did nothing, nothing to afford. You did nothing to earn it or deserve it. But by grace, God extends his open hands to you. And with open hands today, you can come and simply say, God, I accept what you did for me. I accept what you did for me. We're going to eat a meal later this week, and it's going to be a big one, isn't it? It's probably going to last for a couple of days. My, one of my favorites is leftovers. Some people don't like that. I like that. Today we're coming to a meal that's marked with a deep richness that can make your meal throughout the rest of the week in your life be full of joy and intimacy and surrender if you come before it today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Then after that prayer, a song is going to begin. And during the song, we just ask you to come and get the bread and the cup and go back to your seat. And then we'll take communion together once the song is over. But let me pray so that perhaps some of you who are like Zacchaeus, maybe you want to put your faith and trust in God and come to the table today. Or maybe you're like one of the churches and you just want to open up a new door of intimacy. So let's pray together. Talk to God together. And then let's eat together with him. Lord, today we want to thank you for stopping by the tree that we've been stuck in and looking up at us and calling us by name, pulling us down and into face with you and sharing and opening up our life to you. If you're here today and you want to do that and take that step of faith, just say something like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I accept you today as the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Come set up residence within me. If you're here today and you've been a a Christian for some time, but you find yourself at a wall today and you want to open up a new door to God, just say, Lord, today, I trust you. I want to go to deeper places with you. I don't want to stay in the shallows. And so I open the door. I hear you knocking and I open the door. Come in. During this communion time, let's feast together. Satisfy my soul only in you, Lord. Lead me back to the communion with you again and again and again. If you need to do that, just pray that right now. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you in these moments of song, in these moments 
of the bread and the cup, in these moments of prayer and contemplation, we surrender. All to you we freely give with open hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this song, just feel free to get up and come and get the bread and the cup. Yes. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. As we take the bread this morning, let's just say together, Lord, thank you for calling me out of the tree that I was in. Let's just say that together. Lord, thank you for calling me out of the tree that I was in and into your presence. And into your presence. Let's eat together. The scripture goes on in Hebrews to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As we hold the cup together and get ready to drink together, let's just say to the Lord, Lord, help me to get through the walls in my life. Lord, help me to get through the walls in my life to deeper intimacy with you to deeper intimacy with you. Let's drink together. Lord, thanks for showing us how to live with open hands. In our honest moments of prayer, we say we struggle with that, Lord. Sometimes it's easier for us to shut down or pull in or to hold ourselves back But Lord, our best posture on our best day is to live our life with open hands. Worshiping you, receiving from you, being blessed by you, knowing you, reflecting you. And we don't have to do that alone. We have a family of faith that we can rely on to do it together. We thank you for that, and all God's people pray, amen, amen. I want you just to take a couple minutes during this next song to pull out your response card, and I know many of you have already responded, so you're just recording your response this morning. Maybe you're writing down some reflection that you had when you listened to the words of scripture and you looked at that door, maybe there's something that God spoke to you, or maybe today you, for the first time, you know, Receive the joy of your salvation and let Christ come in and dine with you and you with him and you receive the gift of salvation today. Maybe you have a prayer request that you want to record something to be prayed for today. Just take a couple minutes during this song and record your response on the card this morning.